Today's scripture reading is Psalm 22, which is on page 377 of your pew Bible. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. And all who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. You brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and out of my bones, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a postherd, a, a potsherd, and my tongue sticks out to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them. They cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. The word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it speaks to our heart thousands of years after it was written. I pray that you would, yeah, just through your Holy Spirit, enlighten our hearts, enlighten our minds. Help us pray through the scriptures as we go through this series. We pray your word with you, with your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So today we're starting a new series, a new series on prayer. Now, what is prayer? Prayer is talking to God. It's really what it is. But I love how different people pray differently. 
right? So you go to some churches and it's maybe more liturgical, more formal, and you see that reflected in the prayers of the people. Maybe you're from a Catholic background and you pray with reverence and intentionality. I think that's really beautiful. There's some of us who, when we pray, maybe we just talk to Jesus or the Father like a friend. We just have a conversation. I think that's really wonderful to listen to as well because you feel like you're in the room with that person. You're like kind of eavesdropping on their conversation with God. And some of us, well, when we go through times of trial and suffering, how do we pray? We, we, we pour out our hearts to God. We kind of lay down all of our hurts and all of our fear, feelings before the Lord. And that can be really beautiful as well. As we, as we hear each other be honest with God and where we're at. So these are all different ways of praying. And as we look at the Psalms, as we look at the, the, the Psalter, all 150, we're not going to go through all 150, but there's 150 here. As we look at this, we're going to see there's, it's, a, it's a book full of prayers. It's a book full of different kinds of prayers and, and songs. They were prayers and songs, poems, poetry that could be sung individually and prayed individually or sung and, and prayed corporately. And so if you are feeling just, I want to praise the Lord, well, we have a psalm for that. If you're feeling you know, grateful, God, I just, want to, I just want to thank you. Well, we have a psalm for that. If you're, if, you're, if you're feeling down, if you're feeling depressed, we have a psalm for that. They're called psalms of lament. We have psalms of thanksgiving and psalms of praise. And so there's all these beautiful ways to pray in the book of Psalms. This book was written by human authors, by King David, King Solomon, the sons of Korah, also called the sons of Asaph. Human authors wrote it, but they wrote it inspired by God. That means the Holy Spirit helped these human authors write God's words. And so when we pray through the Psalms, what are we doing? We're actually praying with God. We're praying God's prayers. And so when you meditate and you take the time to read a Psalm and try to pray back what you are learning, the, the emotions and the feelings of the Lord is stirring in your heart, you're praying back the, the emotions and the feelings that, that God put in that Psalm for you to pray. And that's beautiful. And so that's what we're going to be going through as a sermon series today uh, and for the next seven weeks as we memorize Psalm 23. Now, we're looking at Psalm 22 tonight, and it's a special kind of psalm. It's not a psalm of thanksgiving. It's not a psalm of praise. It has elements of that, but really it's a prophetic psalm. It's a prophetic psalm. It's a it's a prophecy. This was written by King David, and it was written about the Messiah. The Messiah is the chosen one that was going to come and redeem the people of Israel, the Jewish people. And as we're going to see, redeem even more than them. But we can begin to pray through this psalm as we look at the Messiah, as we look at the person in history that fulfills this psalm. I want to tell you just like right up front, kind of spoiling it, Jesus fulfills this passage. This passage points to Jesus Christ. This passage was written a thousand years before the birth of Jesus, and Jesus fulfills every part absolutely perfectly. And 
And I think as we look at the cross and we look at what happened on that Easter weekend, we actually see Jesus praying this passage. We see Jesus meditating and thinking about Psalm 22. And that leads me to my first point, that Jesus lived and he prayed Psalm 22. Jesus lived and he prayed Psalm 22. Now we're going to go through this psalm, but I want to kind of point out in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew was written for a largely Jewish audience, I want to point out where Matthew highlights what Jesus was experiencing. And so Jesus was seeing and experiencing the things found in Psalm 22. And so he would have been thinking about the psalm, and I think I can show that to you as we go through it. But I want to start by just quoting Matthew 27, verse 35. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Now, where do we see that in Psalm 22? We see it in verse 18. They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. Now, as much as we know about King David's life, if we were to compare King David's life and look at Psalm 22, we would say, well, there's no experience in King's David, King David's life that fulfills this. This didn't happen to him. Well, it's because King David was writing in, in, from the perspective of the Messiah. It's like he's placing himself into the Messiah's point of view. And so these things weren't supposed to happen to King David. They were supposed to happen to the Messiah. So a thousand years before the birth of Jesus, David prophesied that they would divide the Messiah's clothes. And he would cast lots for his garments. And that's what we see happening. The, Ro the Roman soldiers stripping him naked and, and, and casting lots for his clothing. Well, there's more in this passage. Uh, 20, uh, verse 39 talks about how they insulted Jesus. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads. That's a pretty specific detail, and we see that reflected in Psalm 22, verse 7. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. Now Jesus is beginning to, to beautifully fulfill each element of this psalm. In fact, it gets even more specific. It, psalm 22 actually says how they're going to insult him. And then we see it fulfilled in Matthew 27. Verse 43 says, He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. So that's what happened to Jesus as he was hanging on the cross. And what do we see in Psalm 22, verse 8? He trusts in the Lord. They say, let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Beautifully fulfilling that moment of insult. And who, who did insult Jesus on the cross? Well, people that were walking by. People that didn't have time to notice Jesus. That were on a, on a journey, on a trip. That were busy. They're going about their everyday life. The religious leaders, the, the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, the experts. They, they passed by Jesus, the religious people. They walked by him. They insulted him. And even a criminal that hung on the cross next to Jesus, he said, Jesus, even I am better than you. He insulted him. 
It's my prayer for us this Easter that we don't pass by Jesus. That we don't walk on by, that we don't mock him, that we take the time to see that Jesus, there's something special about Jesus. That Jesus, when he went to the cross, he went there for a very specific purpose. And we see that in the next one. Matthew 27, verse 46. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How does this psalm open? The very first verse, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? Why do you think Jesus quoted this psalm as he hung on the cross because he saw it happening to him and he knew that Psalm 22 had to be fulfilled and fulfilled perfectly. And Jesus fulfills it perfectly as he hangs on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But Jesus doesn't just say this to kind of check off like the the box (laughs) to kind of go through the prophecy He says it because something is happening. Jesus is being forsaken by his heavenly father. Now, Jesus doesn't call God, God very often in the gospels. He calls God his father. There's a relationship. There's the heavenly father who loves the son. The son loves the father through the Holy Spirit. There's a relationship there. So this tells us that somehow there has been a break in the relationship. That Jesus is forsaken, he is abandoned. God's God's love has just been somehow removed from the Son. Now, did the Father stop loving the Son? I don't know. I don't think so. But I do think that Jesus stopped experiencing the love of the Father. That Jesus no longer felt the love of the Father as he hung on the cross. Maybe some of you guys have seen that YouTube video. It's called the, the Still Face Experiment. It's the Still Face Experiment. It's with a mother and her little baby girl. And the doctor's kind of narrating it. But uh, there's this moment where the, the, the child is put in a high chair and, he, and she is facing her mother. And her mother begins to interact with her and like coo and have conversations. And the, the little baby girl like points over there and the mother like lights up and, and looks over there. And there's all this beautiful, wonderful engagement and love and interaction. And then the mother, uh, the direction of the doctor, turns away and turns back and just has a, like a completely motionless face. And the, and the baby's like taken back. And the baby begins to try to get her mother to interact. Like... She, she like kind of talks to her and, and like waves her arms and looks around and like looks at the cameraman like what's going on here? And she points and the mother's just there. And the baby gets sadder and sadder and begins to cry. And the doctor's like, okay. And the mother's like, ah, oh, I'm back. But even then, like at the basic human instinct, we know that the removal of love is an incredibly painful and hurtful experience. And what do we know about Jesus? Jesus is the son of God. That means he is God, but he, he, that means he's also in relationship with his father. And Jesus 
has been receiving the love of the Father perfectly, like no sin, no problems. He's been receiving that love forever, for eternity past. It's the, it's the most deepest, intimate, beautiful love to ever grace the whole universe. And in that moment, that experience of love is removed, the forsaking. But it gets worse. See, the illustration breaks down because the mother does not get angry or, or show judgment towards her child. And on the cross, something much more significant was happening. Jesus was experiencing the wrath of God, the judgment of God. See, because on the cross, Jesus was bearing the full weight of my sin and of your sin if you put your faith in him. He was bearing the weight of sin, and God was judging that sin. There was just wrath being poured upon Christ on the cross. Because that's what sin deserves. Sin is disobedience towards God, but it's, not a, it's even more than that. It's like this, this heart rebellion. It's this heart rebellion of saying, God, I want to live life my way. <laughs> and we know that your ways are perfect. Like your way is aligned with your character. It's absolutely perfect, but I'm going to do life my way. That's sin. And that actually deserves judgment. Because anything we do that is not God's way is not perfect. So there's this, there's this removal of the experience of love for Jesus Christ, and there is the putting on of God's wrath on Jesus. And you know why God does this? <laughs> so that God can take his wrath off of you. <laughs> so that God can remove his hatred of your sin the ways that you disobey God. They have been, God's, God's wrath has been removed from you and placed on Christ. And what does God do with his love that he has shown towards Christ Jesus? He takes all that love and all that kindness and, he's, and he puts it on you. <laughs> he says, here I receive the love that, that my son has known and cherished and has been sweet for all eternity. That's what the gospel is. It's this trade that Jesus takes my punishment and I get, I get the love and, and, and the holiness that Jesus had and has still. So how do we receive this gift? Well, it's by confessing that we are sinful and that we are broken and there's nothing that we can do in our own power to earn God's love. Jesus was perfect. <laughs> he had God's love. But we're not perfect. We're sinful and we're broken. So this passage begins with just this heartbreaking note of Jesus' abandonment. And he acknowledges it and he prays it. And then it begins to unfold. And I want us to, to begin to look at the passage so we've seen how Jesus lived and experienced Psalm 22. But then we're going to begin to apply it a little bit more to our lives. And I want to call each of us to, to pray Psalm 22 with Jesus in mind. If you have never prayed a psalm where you've kind of taken it and, and kind of prayed back to the Lord parts of the psalm, well, this is a, a good series to begin to learn how to do that. So we want to pray Psalm 22 with Jesus in mind. And we're looking at verses 1 through 21. 
But there's a, there's a breakdown. Verses 1 through 21, there's a situation, something happens. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then there's a response. There's a prayer. There's three of these prayers, these three of these situations. And so this tells us in verses 1 through 2 that when you feel abandoned, remember Christ's presence. So we saw Christ's abandonment in verses 1 and 2. And then what, what happens in verse 3? It says, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. This, this messianic psalm begins to pray to God, pray to the Father. So sometimes you and I, like, we feel abandoned in life, right? Sometimes we're abandoned by, like, our friends or our loved ones or our family. Like, we're abandoned by them. But sometimes we're also abandoned, we feel abandoned by God, right? You're going through a hard time. Maybe you're moving. All those relationships, you're losing them. You feel lonely. You feel isolated. Maybe you're going to go to college and you're worried because am I going to feel abandoned when I go to college? Maybe your kids are, are moving and you feel abandoned and you're back at home, but it's lonely. Well, when we feel abandoned, whether by those around us or by God, we can pray this messianic prayer, directing our hearts and our thoughts to God. And we're going to direct them to Jesus, just like Jesus directed his thoughts and his prayers to the fathers, to the Father. In these verses, it talks about you're enthroned as the Holy One. And then it says, if, our, if you, our ancestors, put their trust, in you, our ancestors put their trust, they trusted, and you delivered them. So what is this messianic figure doing? He's, he's remembering that God is good. God's still on the throne. No matter my circumstances, no matter what I'm going through, God is still good, and God has been good in the past. He's been good to my ancestors. He's been good to those that came before me. See, if, if Jesus has not abandoned generations of Christians before you and me, he's not going to abandon you and me, no matter how bad we feel. Maybe some of you remember the first time you were like, left alone in your house or apartment by your parents. <laughs> Any of you remember like, that moment when you had this like, sudden realization? Maybe you were you know, 12, 13. Maybe you were like 18 or 19. I, 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 don't, I don't know what had happened for the first time. But you realize, man, I'm alone. I remember that, that experience and just being like, wow, this is what, the, this is what silence is. It's like so quiet. But it's weird, and you kind of have some fear of, like, uh, like did, did the rapture happen? Like, uh, did God take my family? <laughs> and then you remember, you know, my parents love me, and as far as I know, they have not abandoned any of my brothers. So they're going to come back. I think Jesus, as he's on the cross, believes, absolutely believe this, that, that his father is going to come back for him. He has, he has faith He's praying the psalm because he knows what verses come next. Yes, my God, my God, you have abandoned me. But you're still present. You're still ruling. You're still good. And you will bring me home again. So when you feel abandoned, remember Christ's presence. And when others look down on you, remember Christ's faithfulness. When others look down on you, Remember Christ's faithfulness. And, and this also specifically has to do with when they look down on you for your faith. So verses 6 through 8. Say, I'm worn out. I'm, 
not a man, I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. So when others look down on us for for trusting in Christ, remember Christ's faithfulness. Now, we live in a culture where like, people don't judge each other, right? <laughs> no one judges each other. Like the Facebook never happens. Now, people judge each other all the time, right? And we, sometimes it's good things that we judge each other for. Me Too movement. Sometimes it's silly, bad things that we judge each other for, like what we're wearing or how we look. And sometimes, as Christians, we will go through times where you get judged for believing in Jesus. Oh, that person believes in Jesus. And it's wonderful when you have experiences where people want to know what you believe. But other times, it's like, no, get far away from me. (laughs) Get away from me. I I don't want any of that Jesus weirdness. And so what do we do when that happens to us, when we lose friends or aren't included or lose like job promotions or, or don't have relationships because of it? Well, we look to Christ. We look to Christ on the cross as, as, he was, as he was crucified. He was faithful. As he was rejected, he kept trusting. So when, you look, when others look down on you for your faith, remember Christ's faithfulness. And third, when you suffer, remember Christ's suffering and deliverance. So verses 12 through 18, I don't want to go through and read them all, but Here we see this situation, what's happening. This rejection is happening to the Messiah. And we see it happen to Jesus. Verse 12 says, you know, the the strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Well, Jesus is experiencing physical, on the cross, physical brutality. Strong bulls of Bashan, they were these, these like wild bulls that would, roam streets and attack people and gore people, awful things. Well, if we look at the narrative of what happened to Jesus, he was, he was uh, surrounded by soldiers and spit on and, and brutalized and mocked. About 600 soldiers did this to him. He experienced physical suffering. So when we go through times of physical suffering, we can remember that Christ has been there. If you're going through sickness, if you're going through depression, flu, cancer, whatever it is, remember that Christ has suffered. And he understands. He understands pain. And then it goes on to talk about you know, he, the strong bulls of Bashan. And right after that in verse 13, it talks about a roaring lion. The scriptures often describe Satan as a, as a prowling lion, so as a roaring lion, as, as someone who, who prowls around, about seeking to devour others. On the cross, Jesus was undergoing immense spiritual oppression. He was bearing the weight of sin. I'm sure Satan was attacking him. And so when we go through times of spiritual darkness where where we do feel like, oh God, I can't get a sense of your grace, of your love, of your, of your hope. I, I'm having trouble believing. I, I feel weighed down by my guilt and my sins. When you feel that way, remember that 
Christ had the darkness pressed on him. Christ experienced true suffering, but he also experienced deliverance. But we haven't gone low enough into Christ's suffering. We haven't gone all the way to the depths of what Jesus did. And you know what? Our psalm tells us what Jesus had to do. If you look at verse 15, look at the, the very last line. It says, you lay me in the dust of death. See, this psalm, a thousand years earlier, prophesied that the Messiah would have to die. That Jesus Christ would have to die. That he would have to enter into that unfathomable depth. He would go into the darkness. And so today, we remember that. We remember Christ laying in the grave. And this verse 16, the second half of verse 16, actually tells us how he was going to die. They pierce my hands and my feet. Crucifixion was not a thing in the time of David. And yet he is prophesying the way in which the Messiah would die, being pierced through his hands and his feet on a cross. Jesus died. When you suffer, remember Christ's suffering. But notice, our passage does not stop at verse 16. It keeps going. Verse 19, there is, a, there is an entire shift in tone, an entire change. The song goes from being a sad song, a sad prayer, to a happy prayer. Remember those times in your life where somehow like the sunshine comes out in your life and the darkness breaks and the depression leaves and you're, you're filled with joy? This is that moment for the Messiah because he begins to recognize, God, you're not far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword. Verse 21, rescue me from the mouths of lions. Save me from the horns of wild oxen. That phrase, you have saved me from the horns of wild oxen, it's actually not translated real clearly in our modern NIV. A better translation is, you have saved me. You have saved me. You have delivered me. You have rescued me. <laughs> See, Jesus was not left in the tomb. He was rescued. He was delivered. He was raised to new life. And I believe that Jesus can come into our lives and address our sin, our rebellion, and he can raise us to newness of life. And Jesus isn't just interested in, in, in just that. He wants to change every part of your life. He can take those things that you're wrestling with and begin to change them, begin to transform you. So you're no longer ruled by your sins, but you're, you're set free. I believe Jesus can do miracles. He can bring healing, physical healing as well. He doesn't always do that, but I believe it's possible. Spiritual, physical deliverance through Christ Jesus, through our Messiah, through God himself. Pray Psalm 22 with Jesus in mind. And why do we do this? Because Jesus prayed Psalm 22 with us in mind. 
Jesus prayed Psalm 22 with you and me in mind. Now, do I mean like he knew Jonathan Michael Romig, 2017, 2018? No, I don't think necessarily that, but I do think he, he thought of us as a people, the people he was going to rescue, the people in future generations, and we see that. Because starting in verse 22, we have the resurrection. I will declare your name to my people and the assembly. I will praise you. Okay, so he's died. How can, he, how can he praise his father in the assembly unless God has raised him? <laughs> See, there is a resurrection. And starting in verse 22 all the way to the end of the psalm, it's just, it's just basking in the resurrection. That's Jesus coming back to life, the Messiah coming back to life. It's in here, and it's beautiful. And this message of resurrection in verse 27, it goes to all the ends of the earth. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. See, this message of good news is for all of us, for everyone. And if you look to the very last verse, I want to show you something that I think is pretty special. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn. Was anyone here unborn when Jesus walked the earth? You're in the Bible. <laughs> you got in the Bible. And what does Jesus say on the cross? His very last words before he died? When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Verse 31, he has done it. He has done it. Jesus has finished our work of salvation. <laughs> you can't save anyone better than Jesus. Jesus, as he went to the cross, he was fulfilling all these prophecies. It's like he was painting the Sistine Chapel. Just this beautiful work of salvation for you and for me if we're willing to confess our sins and put our faith in him. But some of us, as we approach this work of salvation, we might think, you know, I have my paintbrush and I have to add, I have to, add to the Sistine Chapel. Have you ever seen that in the news where it's like, there's this one lady who tried to restore this fresco of Jesus. I don't know if you saw that in the news. It was a couple years ago, and just it turned out terribly. That's what we do when we come before God and say, God, you know, I know Jesus did all these amazing things. He died, and he rose again, and he fulfilled all these prophecies that were risen a thousand years, but that's not enough. Like, I need to be a good person in order to, to get to the next stage. I need to be a good person in order for God to love me. That's taking our, our paintbrush and adding to a masterpiece, and it's just not going to come out good. It is finished. He has done it. Do you believe that? Our closing big idea is this, that Jesus prayed Psalm 22 with us in mind. Pray Psalm 22 with him in mind. And if you don't know Christ, you can pray Psalm 22 for the first time today with Jesus in mind, praying through his death and resurrection and, and putting your faith and trust in Christ and confessing your sins that you deserve to be forsaken, you deserve to be abandoned. 
See, Jesus cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that each one of us can cry, my father, my father, you will never abandon me. 